Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. It's easy for the trappings of Christmas to drown out the miracle of Christmas, God with us. It's critical to all that follows in the life of Christ. How with us do you believe God was in Jesus? Lead teacher Jeff Norris starts the new series, God with us, with this sermon entitled, The Mystery of the Incarnation, which covers John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. All right, let me pray for us, and um, we'll jump in. Father, thanks for this time together, and thank you for that, uh, for the reality that uh, we just had a week to focus in on Thanksgiving um, but Lord, may that just be the preemptor. May it do, be the, the primer of our hearts to move into a season now that um, leads us into, to, yes, thanksgiving, but even just awe and wonder of who you are and how you came to rescue us. And so even now this morning, Lord, we pray and ask that our hearts would be softened, that you'd give us receptive hearts to hear and receive and apply your word and that Give us, as we pray so very often, as Jesus warned, uh, Lord, that, that we would have ears to hear the truth of your word, that we would have eyes to see the beauty of the King. So God, we give this time to you. Holy Spirit, we pray and ask that you bless it, that you use it unto your glory and for our good. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So there's a number of man-made, created things on this earth that have stood the test of time, that were ancient creations that cause us to, to wonder, to be in awe of them, to wonder how in the world were these made? Because even though they, we know that they were created by man, it was, it was, it's just, it's one of those things without modern technology and machinery, how in the world did it happen? You know, of course, you may be thinking with me immediately of the pyramids in Egypt. I've never been able to visit those. I'm really hopeful that in 2022, I'm hopeful that I can go and visit our Life on Life missional discipleship partners and global partners over there in Egypt and get to see them. But just even seeing pictures of them and reading about them, it's just a mystery. It's a real mystery as to how these ancient Egyptians had the manpower to do what they did with these pyramids, to build them with such precision, to have each stone be uh, several tons worth of weight and to move them into place the way that they did and then create underneath them the chambers and the labyrinths that they did for tombs and whatnot. It's a profound mystery. You think about Stonehenge over in England these ancient rocks that are so very massive, how were they ever moved into place and have not budged for all these centuries, for all these generations, millennium? You think about another place that I did get to visit that it doesn't maybe not be on the radar quite as much as the pyramids, but still equally as impressive is it was able to see the, the ruins, the Mayan ruins of Chichen Itza, in, in, uh, in Mexico and just to stand there and to see, they're not really ruins. They're, they're still so very well intact and the precision again in which they were built and the ways in which they coincides with the position of the sun and the moon and the sky and the brilliance of these people. But yet there's still so much mystery of how did they do this? And when you're in one of these places or even when you're considering one of these places, 
you stand in awe. You take it in and you wonder with amazement at what you're looking at. Mystery and awe go together. Things that we can figure out, things that aren't mysterious to us, things that we can fully explain, we lose the awe of those things. We lose the wonder. Another example, certainly not man-made, obviously, but is outer space. Whenever you begin to try to wrap your mind around uh, the, the sheer massive nature of space and how small we really are on this little ball that we live on, and how small our little Milky Way galaxy really is compared to all these other galaxies that have been discovered and how small the center of our solar system, the star really is in comparison to all these other stars that we know about. And when you begin to try to wrap your mind around the breadth of space, you just end up in this place of just kind of like, I can't figure it out and it's overwhelming, but then you just land in a place of awe because it's so mysterious, space. I mean, we've discovered virtually none of it in some ways. It's so mysterious. And then if you're a follower of God, if you're a Christian, you believe that the, what the Bible teaches us, that there's a God who spoke all of that into being, that by the very word of his power, it came into being, and that he sustains it with the word of his power. And so you're all moves from just awe and wonder of the breadth and the width and the depth and so forth of space, but to the very nature of who God is, that if that's true, if he really is who he says he is, and he is creator God, and all of this exists through his power and through his making, including us, then there's an awe and wonder that comes with that. So here's the question for us this morning. When's the last time that you found yourself standing in awe, so to speak, of the incredible, mysterious reality of God becoming man, of the God of the universe condescending to us, taking on human flesh and existing with us fully human. When's the last time that you found yourself in all that? Maybe that's never happened for you. Maybe you would answer that and say, I I don't know that I've ever been really amazed or enthralled with that or never, never thought that was too awe-inspiring. And, and even for some of us in the church, there was a time when we certainly did find that awe-inspiring, but it's lost its wonder. It's lost its luster. It's lost its magnificence. It's lost its grandeur. I would imagine if you grow up in Egypt and, you're, and you live in Cairo there, not too far from the pyramids, that just comes, becomes a thing that just is over there. It's just there. You see all these people coming in and marveling, and you go, yeah, that's, we see that all the time. And the church is similar in that we find Christmas time to be old hat. We find it to be something that, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, I know, I know the story. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you know the story. Jesus, he's God, he came, babe, manger, swaddling clothes. I get it, okay. And we just kind of skate our way through Christmas time and we don't allow the work of God to be done in us to uh, move us yet again to awe and wonder at the reality of the mystery, mystery of the incarnation. Incarnation just simply means God becoming flesh, dwelling among us. I want us to read and study a passage this morning that I think personally, and even as I've studied again, preparing to teach it, uh, it's brought me back into the wonder and the awe of the incarnation. 
And I, I pray and hope that the same would be done for you, that as we read through this, as we consider what's being presented to us here in God's word, that it would stir within us, maybe for the first time and maybe yet again for us, a new awe and wonder of the reality of Christmas. John, John 1, 1 through 14. One commentator that I read this week, he simply said this. He said, what John is doing in these verses is he's inviting us to stand in awe of Jesus. And so I don't normally do this. Bob Cargo does this a lot. I don't. But I'm going to this morning. I want us, as we read it, I want us to stand. I want us to stand in awe of who Jesus is as we consider these words. Verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was, in the begin, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is a different John, not the apostle John writing this. He's speaking of John the Baptist. He, John the Baptist, came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He, John the Baptist, was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated. There is so much in these 14 verses so much profound truth. Just in verse one alone, these words that John starts with, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Uh, I came across a quote from John Calvin this week as well where Calvin is actually quoting an older writer of his day that he doesn't even name, but someone that he was a contemporary with that was older than Calvin himself who made this statement. He said that uh, John, the words of John 1.1 should be written on golden tablets and hung in every church in the world. So we'll get to work on that. Um, <laughs> profound words that he's saying just in the first sentence. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Before I dig into that, I, I want to give you something first, though. I want to give you a big idea of what John 1, 1 through 14 is telling us. When I try to do this from time to time. What's the big idea? What's the message big idea? And in my own personal study, this helps me a lot. When you're looking at a, a group of verses, you're looking at passages, and you're trying to say, okay, what is it, what's the main thing that we're trying to take away from here that God wants us to take away from here? And sometimes in my own personal study, just to help me remember what that main idea is, I, I'll make it rhyme, okay? Corny alert, about to tell you what I'm about to throw at you is a little corny, I get it, I know, but it helps me remember, maybe it'll help you remember as well. And so I, I'll write little, a little poem of sorts that'll help me remember what the main idea of the passage is. So here's that for, for this one. 
The main idea of 1, 1 through 14 of John says this, the one through whom and for whom the world was made came to earth to serve and save, to give his life for me and you that we may see his glory full of grace and truth. Now, here's reality. Let's get real with, with y'all for just a second. Reality is that there are many of us in the room right now, watching online, wherever, who just heard that little, little poem and said, okay, tell me something I don't know. I've heard that a million times. Now, if that's you, if you find yourself in that place right now, uh, uninspired, un, unmoved, no even begin, beginning glint of awe and wonder that the one through whom and for whom the world was made came to earth to serve and save, to give his life for me and you, that we may see his glory full of grace and truth. If there's nothing there, I would encourage you, stop, pray and say, oh God, would you soften my hard heart right now? And would you awaken to me either for the first time or for the first time in a while, the joy, the awe and the wonder of that simple truth. That is the gospel. That is the good news. Why would John use the word, word? Why would he say, in the beginning was the word? Why didn't he just say, in the beginning was the Son of God? Why would he use this word, logos, in the Greek? Well, two reasons that, uh, that, are, that stand out. There's probably more, but two, and the first one I'll just mention because there's not enough time to get into it, but the first reason I think he did it was because his, both his Hebrew, his Jewish, and his Gentile readers would have resonated with this word for very different reasons. But this was a word, logos was a word that they were both very familiar with and had a significant place in their culture. And so in one way, he's drawing both sides, if you will, in. He's bringing the Jew into the conversation. He's bringing the Gentile in the conversation by saying, in the beginning was the word, but more than that. And secondarily, what, the, what he's doing is he's given us profound, beautiful, really brilliant word picture. Because think about what he's saying here. How, how is it that we get to know one another? How is it that we begin to see and understand who each one of us are is through the spoken word. How do I get to know you? How do you get to know me? We talk, we have a conversation. I speak, you speak. What's hidden in my heart comes out through word. So on and so forth. Randy, our founding pastor, has taught this really well, given us this little picture over the years. It's always resonated with me, but he, he said this. Imagine you go to lunch with someone that you've never met before. Someone said, hey, I think y'all should get together and get to know one another. You say, that'd be great, I'd love to. You meet up for lunch. But for whatever reason, the entire lunch, I know this is weird, just a story, you don't speak. You eat your lunch, you're there together in, in, in presence with each other, but not a word is spoken. So let's just say I did that, and I'm, you know, I go to lunch with some guy named John. I come home, and Rachel says, how did it go? I said, well, it went great. You know, we ate together. She says, well, did you get to know him? What's he like? And I would say, no, no, I didn't get to know him. Why? Because not a word was spoken. One of the things that God is doing, the thing that God is doing through Jesus is he is speaking to us his once and final word. 
We'll read a passage here out of Hebrews in just a moment that says specifically that, that in, in, the, in, the last, in the latter days, God has spoken to us in former days through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son once and for all. And what has he spoken? Well, Jesus is the word because through him, through the word, we know who God is. He reveals to us who God is. He, reveal, he reveals to us the character of God. God is Christ-like. If you want to know what God is like, he's like Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. And through Jesus as the word, we know God. We know who he is. And we move into a relationship with him through the word of God. So I want to give you five things in this passage. Five truths that we see about the incarnate word of God in this passage. Here's the first one. The word as eternal God. The word as eternal God. Now, this is probably the hardest one for us to wrap our minds around. Uh, the title of the sermon this morning is The Mystery of the Incarnation. This is mysterious. How is it that God can come and dwell among us, first and foremost, and in in be both human and God? Talk about that in just a moment. But what he's presenting to us, what John is presenting to us here in this passage is that the Son of God has always been. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is God, Athanasius, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the early church fathers in the third century who um, uh, was just tremendous. By the way, I'll go ahead and recommend this. We, uh, we're recommending this book to coincide with the series. It's a little book that St. Athanasius wrote all those many years ago called On the Incarnation. Now, you, if you're like me and you'd like to have a physical book in your hand, we have a few in our bookstore that you can buy for $5. But if you like PDFs, you can go on our website. Uh, there's, if you go to perimeter.org slash Norris, there's a bunch of books that I've recommended from Sermon Series. And a free PDF is on there of this to where you can just download it, read it on your tablet or on your uh, device, computer, whatever. If you like a hard copy, we do have some of those. But Athanasius, he simply said this. I love this quote. Talking about the eternality of God, uh, of the Son of God, of Jesus, the Word, he says, there never was when he was not. There never was when he was not. In the beginning, now you would think, what's John doing there? He's taking us back to Genesis 1. He's taking the reader, the Jewish reader, back to familiar text. In the beginning, God created. But instead of in the beginning, God, he says, in, in the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God and the word was God. You know, we try to comprehend these, these kind of truths and it just messes with our minds. I used to joke when I was on campus with, with students, I'd ask them a bit of a trick question. How long has the son of God been around? Uh, 2,000 years. No, wrong answer. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, he came in human form as Jesus 2,000 years ago, but he's... It's eternal. I can remember when I was young, uh, I used to lay in bed at night and if I couldn't fall asleep, I'd start thinking deep theological, philosophical thoughts, right? But I'd start trying to fathom eternity. And that would always lead me into trying to fathom and wrap my mind around when God began. When did God, existing in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, existing in perfect unity and community with one another, when did he start? 
And according to the scriptures, what we're told time and time again is that he is eternal. There is no beginning, there is no end. He is the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. No one before him, no one after him. He is not created, but eternal. And you start trying to wrap your mind around that and all it'll end up doing is giving you goosebumps and heebie-jeebies because we can't figure it out. Because in our finite minds, we cannot figure out infinite realities. Does it mean we don't care about them? Does it mean we don't try to study them? Of course not. We try to dig into those kind of things, but ultimately it's a mystery. It's mysterious reality that the son of God is eternal, that he's God in the flesh. Bruce Milne, he says this, I love this quote. He says, Mark begins his story of Jesus at Jordan, the Jordan River. Matthew and Luke start at Bethlehem, but John goes back to the very beginning of the history of history, even beyond it, as if to say there's only one true perspective in which to see the story, you must see it in light of eternity. So there's three things that just in the very beginning stanzas of this passage, three truths that John affirms about Jesus is the word. The son of God is the word. He says this. He says he existed eternally before the creation of the universe. That's one truth he gives us. He existed eternally before the creation of the universe. Second truth he gives us is that he coexisted eternally with God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And then he tells us this, he himself, the son of God himself, the same nature as God. In his nature, he is essentially, he is essential deity. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God makes our heads spin a little, but it's the reality. The mystery of the God-man, let's speak to when Christ came, when he came incarnate, when the Son of God came in the form of a human and was given a name, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. So when he came, what was his nature? Well, this was what the early church argued vehemently about. This is what the early councils were primarily about. What was the nature of Christ? And after much debate and after much study of scripture, they agreed upon the reality that he was the God-man, fully God, fully human. 100% God, 100% man. And the, the arguments that, wanted to, that people wanted to make was, well, I, I mean, how do you even begin to explain that? How do you begin to make sense of that? I mean, there's gotta be, maybe it's more like, you know, some kind of hybrid of both, 50-50, half and half, something along those lines. Maybe he was a little more divine than he was human. Maybe he was a little more human than he was divine. You know, Philippians 2, which we'll study last week, says he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. So does that mean that he gave up his divinity to become human? No. We'll talk about that next week. Teaser, come back. What we see in scripture over and over again is that he's both God and man. How is somebody 200% of something? I don't know. I can't explain that. But there's a lot of truths in Christian doctrines that the Bible presents to us that are mysterious like that. And if they weren't mysterious, they would lose their awe and wonder. And again, in our finite minds, we just can't fully comprehend until we're on the other side of glory. Begin to understand things. I'll give you a couple of examples. One example would be uh, the reality of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God existing in three persons, right? So three, okay, so we have three gods. No, we have one God. Okay, so one God, but existing in three persons, right? Oh yeah, so it must be kind of like me. I'm, I'm a man, but I'm also a father, a son, brother, husband. No, 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 
that doesn't get it, that falls short. Every analogy that we try to come up with falls short to explain the Trinity because it's, it's just a mysterious reality that we can't fully comprehend. You know this to be true if you're a parent and have tried to answer that question or explain the reality of the Trinity to your kids. They're gonna keep asking questions that you don't know how to answer. And you eventually get frustrated and just say, just believe me, one God, three persons. That's all I got. Think about this. The dual truths that coexist without contradicting one another that we don't know how they fit together. The sovereignty of God over all things, including our salvation. There's not one thing that exists in heaven and on earth that is outside the bounds of the, the full control and sovereignty of God. That's true. Man has free will and God holds us accountable for that free will. That's true. How in the world do those fit together? I have no idea. I'm a pastor, I'm supposed to have that answer for you, right? Yeah, sorry. Can't explain it. It's a mystery. And it brings with it this awe and wonder and the incarnation is the same way. How do we begin to explain that the God of the universe became man and dwelt among us and he's the eternal God existing before the creation of the universe, coexisting with God himself and in himself fully divine yet fully human. It's a profound mystery. But it causes me and I hope you too to stand in a place of awe and wonder and amazement that God would do such a thing, but why would he do it? Well, before we get to that, let's mention one more thing in the text. Verse three tells us another really remarkable truth. It's that the word is also creator. He's the eternal God, but he's the creator. Verse three says this, about the son of God, about Jesus, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 10, later on, it's talking about how he came into the world and he says, he was in the world and the world was made through him. Colossians 1 supports this, where the apostle Paul says, he, talking about Christ, the son of God, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now that's a confusing phrase as well. Does that mean that he was created? No, it just means that he's the firstborn of creation in the sense of in John 3, two chapters after our passage today, Jesus explains to Nicodemus, you have to be born again. Well, what are we born into? We're born into Christ. He is the foundation of our, of our new creation. That's what that means by firstborn of all creation. For by him, listen, for by him all things were made, created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Leon Morris said this, there, was never, uh, there never was a time when the word was not. There was never a thing that did not depend on him, the word for his existence. Here's that Hebrew passage I talked about. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the universe, the world. There it is. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So much in those verses that I can only mention, but here's the, kind of the, the picture that we're getting from scripture, is that the son of God came to earth in the form of human uh, likeness as a man, fully human, 
but he's the eternal God who created us as well. So the very one for whom and through whom you were created is the one who also came to redeem you, to save you. He is creator. We go back to Genesis 1. We begin to put the picture together and we see, oh, all three persons of the Trinity were present at creation. God the Father spoke it into being. God the Son, the hands, if you will, of creation created it. And God the Spirit is hovering over the waters of the deep. That's why in, uh, we get another picture of the Trinity in, in uh, Genesis 1.26. Let us make man in our image, plural. One God existing in three persons. But yet, this creator God, we begin to understand, is our savior. The very one who made us has come to save us. And our lives will be spent in perpetual frustration until we find the one for whom and by whom we were created. Your purpose on this earth, the reason for your existence, according to God's word, is for Jesus, the one who made you and the one who has saved you. So he's creator, but we also see in this passage that he's the revealer. The word is revealer. Verse nine says this, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Go back up to verse five. It says this, the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light of the world, John chapter eight. He's the one who exposes all things. I already said that God reveals, uh, God is revealed to us through Jesus. He's the word, so we know God. We know who God is through Christ. But he also reveals who we are. He is the light that exposes the realities of who we are. Uh, we have a closet in our house. Amuse me and play along as though you have one of these closets as well. I think many of you do. Ours is, in every house that we've lived in, it's just right off the main living area. And it's a dark closet, doesn't have a light in it, that all the junk goes into. Everything, you know, coats are in there, board games are in there, vacuum parts are in there. We don't know which vacuum it goes to. It's probably a vacuum we don't even own anymore, but it's still in there. Random tools are in there because I don't wanna to walk to the basement to put them up in the toolbox where they belong. It's just a junk closet. And we just stuff stuff in there because it's dark. And I don't know about you, but I don't go into other people's houses and just go around opening up their closets. That's weird. And so you know nobody's gonna see it. So you put it into the dark. But what happens when you open that door and the light of the room that you're in comes in? The, the passage just said it to us. The light always overcomes the darkness. It never overcomes the light. And so it exposes what's really in there. And you open that door. And almost every time I open that door in my house, I just go, ugh. And then I just shove more stuff in there. <laughs> but you see the nastiness of the junk of the closet. That, that's a metaphor for that's us. Uh, we have all these deep, dark crevices and caves and, and corners of our heart, these closets of our heart that have just, we've just shoved all kinds of the darkness of sin into those crevices. And we don't even know that they're there. We've convinced ourselves that they're not there. And one of the things that Jesus does when he shows up is he shows up as the light of the world to reveal to everyone who we are, to throw open wide the doors of the closets of our hearts, the dark places and the crevices that we don't want peered into. He doesn't just peer into them. He shines the glory of his light into them and he exposes us and we respond with, oh my goodness, I am undone. 
It is far worse than I ever imagined. And I am more of a sinner than I could ever dream. But he would be cruel if he just left it at that. Just to expose us, just to show us how broken and messed up we are. He reveals to us who we are so that he can reveal to us who he is. And who is he? Well, the fourth truth in this passage is that he's the redeemer. The word is the redeemer. This beautiful, beautiful, beautiful verse, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. <laughs> that's, that's unbelievable. We, we have no rights with God. We've done nothing but from the very beginning of time, we've done nothing but spit in his face spiritually. We've revolted against him. We've shook our, shaken our fist at him. We've done nothing but live in darkness and defiance to him. And he owes us nothing except one thing. We have one right before God and that is God, if you're just, you'll pour out your wrath on me. Because you created me for you. You're the creator God. You're the sustainer God. And you are the savior God. And I don't want to have anything to do with it. And so you very justly, very appropriately should pour out your wrath on me. And he says, to those who believe upon the one who came, to those who believe upon the savior, he gives the right to become children of God. Not just tolerated, but beloved. Sons and daughters of the king. It's the good news of the gospel. But there's a fifth thing, something that God's always been about from the very beginning of his story. The word is the incarnate glory. It's always been a part of God's design. His desire to dwell among his people in glorious splendor that they may see his glory. Look at verse 14, the verse of this text. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. The glory is of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. It's always been God's design and desire to dwell among his people that they may see his glory. Go back to Genesis. This is what's happening. Genesis one, what does God do? God creates, why? So that he can dwell among his people. Before sin came into the world, he walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. They beheld him in his glory and it was perfect union between God and man. When we fell dead in the garden in Genesis three, all that was messed up. So what did God do? God went on a mission. Throughout the rest of Genesis, we begin to see the, be the beginnings of that mission. And then in Exodus, we see God doing something really amazing where he's drawing a people for himself out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. Why? So that he can dwell with them. That word dwell in the text is tabernacle. What does he do in Exodus? He sets up the tab tabernacle. A lot of times we think God led the people out of Exodus just so he could show that he can part waters and do really cool things. But the whole point the whole point of the miracles of Exodus was to lead us into a new land so that we could dwell with God, that he would tabernacle among us. And so he sets up an elaborate sacrificial system because our sin is so robust to where we can actually go before God and receive forgiveness of sin and, and at some very minuscule level be in his presence. But that was not nearly sufficient enough and there had to be a greater sacrifice. And so this new final word comes and he dwells among us and he tabernacles among us and he makes the once and for all final perfect sacrifice for sin on our behalf himself. So that what? So that through him, 
we can dwell with God. That God would dwell not just with us, but in us. That the temple that used to be the avenue through which we would just kind of get into the space of God would be done away with because now we, through the true temple of God, Christ himself, have become little temples of God where God dwells. And we don't just get into the little space of God, we get all of God. We get all of him through this Jesus so that now through the church, what are we doing? We are tabernacling with God, both individually and corporately together. He is dwelling with us, Emmanuel, God with us. And where's the story headed? It's headed to a full, a fuller, more profound reality of what we get in part now. We taste it now, we will get it in full then because this God who came once will come again. And when he comes again, he will come and the fullness of his glory that we taste now will be fully ours to dine upon. It's always been the design of God that we would see and behold his glory full of grace and truth. So what do we do with all this? What do we do? Well, John tells us a couple chapters later in chapter three, he says, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in earthly ways. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives a spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So what do we do with this? We believe so fully by faith in the Son of God, in the incarnate Son of God. We, we believe so fully by faith in him that our lives are transformed, that we may behold his glory both now and forevermore. In any context, in any hardship, in any reality. I gotta read to you this story real quick. Came across this. From James Montgomery Boyce, he was writing about the truths of Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. That's the verse that says, may you be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. And he says this, he says, because Jesus Christ is Lord, is God incarnate, it means that he is able to satisfy all the needs of the human heart. And so he tells this story very quickly here. During the Napoleonic Wars in Europe, some of the emperor's soldiers opened a prison that had been used by the Spanish Inquisition. In one of the many dungeons, they found the skeleton of a prisoner chained to the wall. On the wall, carved into the stone with a sharp piece of metal, was a crude cross. And around the cross were the Spanish words for the four dimensions in Ephesians 3. On one side was the word breadth. On the other side was the word length. Above the cross was the word height, and below the cross was the word depth. Left to rot away in chains, this persecuted believer comforted himself with the thought that this God who came to dwell among us was able to satisfy every spiritual need of his heart. We believe so fully by faith in the Son of God, the incarnate one, that our lives are transformed and that even in chains, we have seen his glory, full of grace and truth. Father, we thank you and we pray that you would open our eyes to see your glory through the word, the incarnate word of God, 
Christ your son. We thank you that you are who you are, that you reveal to us who we are so that we can run to you, the lover, the great lover of our souls, the one who satisfies our deepest longings. So even now, even as we sing, would you meet with us? Would you awaken us to the realities of who you are? We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's sing together. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.